Amen. Okay, so I'm going to introduce Carson. He is one of our elders here at the Vine Community Church. If you've been around long, you have seen Carson because he's everywhere. But he is our, um, I don't know, he's just amazing. If you ever get a chance to just meet Carson and Katie, they're just, they really are that incredible. So um, I kind of want to be like Carson when I grow up. And so it's a wonderful, with, with him and our other elders, it's a, he's a wonderful human to serve alongside. And he just loves the Lord Jesus. He loves the Word and he loves the church, and he's here today. He's going to continue on with our kind of beautiful hot mess of preaching right through Hebrews. We're like, hey, um, you want to preach something else? You just want to jump in where we're at, and he said, let's just dive in, and so he'll be starting Hebrews chapter 8 for us today, and so Carson, come on up, and let's give him a, a big welcome. Thank you. Well, Brandon gives, uh, says a little too many nice things, so if you keep your expectations low, that will uh, that'll be better. I'm always amazed every week whenever Treb and Brandon get up here, and they never use a podium to hold any notes. They have a much better memory than me, I think, but I had to request a podium today because I, I need some notes to make sure that we get through everything that we have. But uh, as Brandon said, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 8 today, verses 1 through 6 is where we're going to be spending our time this morning. But before we uh, take some time and jump into this passage, let's just pray together and let's ask God to teach us something this morning. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather as a body of your people and to come and worship you in song and in prayer for one another. And we thank you that you get to teach us from your word. We pray um, that you would reveal something to us this morning. Just take a little time, everyone, uh, as, as we do every week in your own hearts, and ask God to teach you something this morning. And as we want to be uh, a church that prays for other people as well, uh, take a moment and ask God to, to work in someone else's life around you. Maybe you know their name, maybe you don't know your name, but we want to be a church that prays for one another. So take a moment and ask the Lord to come and, and teach someone else something this morning. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Hebrews, that it is living and active, that you will use it to teach us. And we pray that you would uh, come by the power of your Holy Spirit and instruct us this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you've had a chance, uh, there sh you should, may have your Bible or there should be a Bible around you. And if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take the one that's in your chair or right next to you. But we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 8 today, starting in verse 1. It says, the point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, 
See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one. And it is founded on better promises. So as we've been kind of working our way through the book of Hebrews as uh, a church, we have pointed out a few things. And if you want to hear like a really great recap, you can go back. All those sermons are online and you can listen to them about a full recap and setting the stage for what Hebrews is all about. But one of the things that we've talked about is the, the book of Hebrews is more like a sermon that you can uh, think about being preached to you instead of like a letter being written to people. Um, and so the the author or the preacher in this scenario has been kind of working towards and building an argument, working towards a big point. And so we get here in, in chapter 8, verse 1, and he starts by saying, the point of what we're saying is this, that we do have uh, such a high priest. And so if we look back kind of over the course of what we've been talking about in Hebrews, he starts in chapter 1 building this argument, talking about how Jesus is greater than angels. Because Jesus is God's son. He uh, has an inheritance that's different and better than the heavenly beings or anything else that's been created. Jesus has a special place being God's son. And then in chapter 3, he's, the author's talking about how Christ is greater than Moses. And you got to remember that the original hearers of this word, it's called Hebrews, were Hebrew people. And uh, so Moses is like this amazing figure in Judaism, right? He and Abraham are really probably vying for the most important spot. I don't know which one's most important, but it's one of the two. It's Abraham or Moses is, is most important to Jewish people. And he's making this case that Jesus is actually greater than Moses. And then uh, we have in chapter 5, he kind of jumps in for the next few chapters and tells us how Christ is greater than the Old Testament priesthood because we have these priests in the Old Testament from the line of Aaron who have come, and they were sinful people, so they had to offer sacrifices to make atonement for themselves before they could approach God. But Jesus, because he lived a perfect and sinless life, is able to come before God just as he is, uh, perfect and sinless. And that makes him our great high priest. And so that's really like the point of what we're launching into. And where this passage starts today is he's saying that, you know, what I've been saying for the last seven chapters is this, that we have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. And I think it's just this amazing picture to think about Jesus coming and sitting down right next to God. This idea that, that he is, is seated at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And where Jesus sits is something that is uh, really important. Like the seat next to the person in charge is the place that you want to be. If you've ever played like sports or basketball or something, you want the seat right next to the coach because that gives you the best chance of getting in the game. Like you don't want to be at the end of the bench. You want to be right next to the coach. If you're thinking about work, like you get a promotion, you get a desk closer to where the boss sits, right? And if you think about uh, like a Disney movie or something, there's a king that sits on a throne. There's usually would be a queen, but there's no mom in any Disney movies. That's, I don't know why that happens. But, um, so there's a king and there's the princess that the story's all about and also usually some nefarious advisor who stands right next to the king as well. But the people who are important in the throne room get to sit next to the person who's in charge. They get to sit next to the king. And Jesus takes this seat of honor next to the majesty in heaven. And we, we even see, like, even the disciples knew that sitting next to the person in charge was really important. If you think of back to Mark uh, chapter 10, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, um, they come maybe with their mother, 
and ask Jesus if one of them can sit on his left and one of them can sit on his right when he comes into his kingdom. And so they're, they know that this is a really great place to be, and they want to be in this seat of honor. And then all the other disciples become indignant, the passage says, or super mad at them because they wanted this special seat, and that meant no one else could have this special seat next to Jesus. And Jesus tells them, you know, that's not, that's not for me to assign, and uh, also uses that to kind of jump into this section where he talks about how the, the, great, uh, the greatest must serve the, the, the rest, and how that's what he came to do was actually to serve and not to be served. So this is uh, just really like an amazing picture. And I think I hope your Bible has the word majesty capitalized in heaven because it's uh, a really important thing. This was a term that the Jewish people would use to uh, give a name to God, that he was the majesty in heaven. And as I, I think about this picture in my head of Jesus sitting down next to God, um, I'm reminded of Isaiah chapter 6, uh, which I'm gonna, just going to read to you really quick. And this is Isaiah telling us um, in chapter 6, verse 1, he says, and I want you to just picture this scene in your head as I read it. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah said, Woe to me, I cried, I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So this is, I think this is an amazing picture of the awe and the power that God has and how Isaiah, um, who was probably a pretty righteous man by most standards, says, I am ruined, I am undone, when he comes before God and sees him on his throne. This is where Jesus gets to sit. He gets to sit right next to God in all of his glory. Um, and, and so this is an amazing seat for Jesus to have as our high priest and um, it's really important for us to understand why he is able to sit there. He is able to sit there because he had finished offering his sacrifice. And he's able to sit there and to rest just like God rested on the, on the seventh day. He takes his, his place that he has earned next to the Father. Um, earthly priests in the uh, in the old covenant had one chance a year. It's the day that Jewish people call Yom Kippur, like the Day of Atonement. That is the day that uh, the high priest was able to enter into the Holy of Holies. And so it's like a one time a year type of thing. And here we have Jesus, who is our high priest, who just goes and sits there, right next to God, and he gets and he's going to stay there forever, uh, ministering on our behalf. And so it's just it's an amazing idea to think about how. Uh, how much better this new covenant is than the old covenant because our high priest goes and he gets to sit next to God Almighty and all of his majesty on his throne um, because that his sacrifice uh, was sufficient. It's better, and we're going to talk about that uh, in a second. Verse, verse 2 leads us into, as it's talking about where Jesus sits, it says that what he does is, is he who serves in the sanctuary, 
the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. And it's because that Jesus has finished this atoning work on the cross, it's because that he has gone and offered this sacrifice that he is able to come and to sit there. And it says that he uh, is doing something. Your Bible may say that he is a minister or that he is ministering. Uh, Mine says that he serves. But it's something that he is actively doing. It's not something that he already did. Uh, And I think it's important for us to realize that um, just because Jesus has finished his work on the cross, he has conquered sin and death and, and risen from the grave, does not mean that that was all of his work. That wasn't everything that Jesus was doing. He is still continually serving and ministering as our high priest before God. His all-sufficient work on the cross, um, it, was, it was enough uh, to conquer sin and conquer death, um, but it's not everything that he, that he had to do. It was not everything that he came to do. And he has this ministry of service that we see him carrying out on earth. Going back to that passage in Mark chapter 10 when James and John asked him who could be the greatest, he, he kind of sums it up with, uh, in verse 45, he says, for the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus' ministry that he had on earth was a ministry of service. It was something that he had uh, come to serve other people. Obviously, because he came from this place of the utmost glory with God, he could have come to earth and demanded that we, his creation, serve him. But he chose not to do that. Instead, he chose to humble himself, becoming a man, and came and served other people. And he served poor people, sick people, outcast people. He served people that other people didn't want to serve. And he came and he served for you and for me. And now he has completed that portion on earth, but he is still serving in heaven. I think that's a really, a really powerful thing. Verse 3 says that every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. And so when we think about the thing that Jesus had something to offer, I'm just going to go ahead and do a spoiler, even though we're working our way through the book of Hebrews. I, I didn't think of any way to say it better than Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. So I'm sorry for whoever gets to preach that, but we're just going to read that uh, real quick. It's talking about Jesus, and it says that he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Jesus is able to enter into this most holy place because uh, his sacrifice was himself. And we have uh, the earthly high priests that would bring a goat, a calf, a bull, like they would bring something else to offer on behalf of their own sin and then the other sin. And, that, and that's why uh, this passage in Hebrews I think is so cool because the author has been working through the last seven chapters showing us why Jesus' uh, sacrifice is sufficient and why it's enough and why his atoning work on the cross uh, is something that we can trust in and has earned him the right to sit next to God. Verse 4 going on says, If he were on earth... He would not be a priest, for there, were, there are already men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. And really th- what this verse is saying is that in the Old Covenant, Jesus was not eligible to actually serve as a priest in the temple. And we, we don't see him going into the Holy of Holies. We don't see him going into any of these places because he wasn't allowed to. He wasn't, from, uh, he wasn't a Levite, and he wasn't a priest on earth. And you had to be, the way the Old Covenant was set up, uh, from the line of Aaron to be able to go uh, and minister to God in the temple. Jesus could be around the temple, 
he went and taught near the temple and in some of the outer courts of the temple, but he couldn't go into the special places in the earthly temple because he wasn't allowed to. Um, and that's what verse 4 is really telling us here, is that there were already people working out this earthly ministry um, that were doing that. And Jesus was from the tribe of Judah, and so he didn't have the opportunity to go and be a priest in the physical temple. Verse 5 says that those people who serve in, in the earthly temple, those earthly priests, that they serve a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. The physical tabernacle where the earthly priests carried out their sacrifices and offerings before God is a reflection, a copy, it's a, it's a shadow of what is actually in heaven. And this is why it was a really big deal uh, that God told Moses, make sure that you get it right when you're building these things uh, and that every piece has to be laid out perfectly because the point of this is not that, uh, the point's not that it's perfect, the point of it is to teach us what the true tabernacle in heaven looks like and, and to teach us more about God's perfection and this re redeeming work that he has set up. And so I think it's just helpful for us to kind of go back and take a, a look for just a minute in Exodus at some of the things that made up this old covenant and when this old covenant was delivered and, and brought by Moses, the mediator, to the people of Israel. If you want to spend a lot of time thinking about it, go back, start around Exodus chapter 19. You can just read the rest of that. And it's really, I think, helpful as we're working our way as a church through the book of Hebrews to have um, some good background on that old covenant. But I want to read to you about um, God telling the people, I want to make this covenant with you uh, in Exodus 19, starting in verse 4. God is talking to Moses, and he tells Moses to tell the Israelites this, that you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. And how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. So God goes and he tells Moses, hey, you know, I'm, I want to make this covenant with the people. Tell them that I want to do this with them. And so they, they go through this thing. They had been in bondage in Egypt for 400 years, and then God delivers them out of that bondage. They're out in the desert, in, uh, and they go out to Mount Sinai, and this is when they get the Ten Commandments. And Moses is up on the mountain for 40 days with God, and he spends this time with God, and God delivers to him the new covenant. And actually, like, Initially, when you're reading Exodus, God told uh, Moses, like, bring all the people, and uh, once they're consecrated, they can come before me. And, uh, like, the smoke and the fire of God comes down on the mountain, and all the people are like, we don't, we don't you just go, Moses. We don't want to go. Like, that looks really scary. And so, uh, and God had told Moses, he said, just make sure that no one, like, touches the mountain before they're supposed to, or they will definitely die. Uh, and so the people are really intimidated. They see, like, the glory and the power of God up on Mount Sinai. And they're like, Moses, you just go for us, and you receive the covenant, and you receive the law, and you mediate it on our behalf. And so Moses goes and he does that, and he spends 40 days up on the mountain with God. And then if you, you know, want to, you can go read the whole book of Leviticus and see, like, this law that God has prescribed for us and the system of sacrifice and bloodshed to be able to make atonement for our sins. And it's a system uh, because God is holy 
uh, and he is powerful, and he can't be in the presence of sinful people, uh, and we are totally and completely sinful, and that's why God told him, like, don't touch the mountain while I'm on the mountain, or you're going to die, um, but they, and he sets up this system so that we can still have a relationship with him, right, and so that uh, his people can sacrifice and be able to have a way to be clean before God, but uh, obviously we know, as, and as the author of Hebrews is pointing out, that this system that God has set up with Moses is really like a shadow and reflection of what Jesus is going to do and already has done. And so Moses didn't know that this is what Jesus was coming to do yet, but the author of Hebrews is telling us, hey, like this is the whole point of the old covenant, that God has given us this plan and it is a shadow and reflection of what is coming so that we can, we can see that Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things. And that's why when we're talking about how Jesus is the, the perfect sacrifice, it's because we have this whole Old Testament law that shows us why there needed to be a sacrifice, and it shows us how he can be the fulfillment of that sacrifice. And I think that that's why when we see some of the examples in the Bible, like the Apostle Paul, who had as good of understanding as of the Old Testament as anyone, he was incredibly uh, powerful in convincing people of like the trueness of the gospel that Jesus had come and carried out because he understood the fulfillment uh, of the Old Testament, how powerful that was. And I think it's also important for us as, you know, modern-day Christians today to make sure that we are well-versed in the Old Testament and the Levitical Covenant. Like, God has been working out this redemptive plan that he has had since the beginning. And he tells us the story of this in, in the Bible, but the story of the Bible is really all about how Jesus is coming as the great high priest to come and redeem us and that he will come again uh, and usher in his kingdom. And so as we think about these things, I think that, um, like the beauty of God's redemptive plan is something that we can uh, be, be humbled by and should spend time thinking about and understand that this old uh, Levitical covenant that, that Moses was the mediator of is something that God is using uh, to teach us about the beauty of what he did in Christ and, and how he really works. If we look at verses 5 and 6, uh, or really verse 6, it says that the ministry that Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one, and it is founded on better promises. Now, Jesus has this ministry now uh, that he is carrying out, and I really, it's something that I, I couldn't stop thinking about, that Jesus, after having done this amazing thing and paying the price for all of our sins, went and sat before God but he still continued to serve, and he still continues to minister today uh, on behalf of my soul and your soul and on behalf of uh, all of his people. Like, that is who he ministers for now before God. And I think a lot about how, uh, you know, as Christians, we are supposed to follow the example of what Christ has done. That's what we talked about. That's why we're called Christians, because we want to be like Jesus and uh, we all have a ministry that God has called us to. Now, it may look different for you in your specific stage of life or wherever you are or what uh, different talents, gifts, and abilities God has given you as, you know, that we talk about the different roles that people have. Some are the head, some are the hands, some are the feet. Um, but we all have a ministry. And in Second Corinthians, God 
our um, the Apostle Paul kind of like gives just like a name to that ministry as the ministry of reconciliation, as something that we are able to carry out on behalf of God. And so I just want to read this passage to you real quick as we think about the ministry that we have and are called to carry out uh, here today. Starting in verse 18, uh, after we've been talking about how you know, the old is gone and the new has come. It says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. This is, this is the beauty of the old covenant, that God no longer counts our sins against us, right? And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I love love this passage because we, if you are a Christian, if you're in this room and you have committed your life to Jesus, we all have a ministry that God has called us to. And that ministry is about reconciling other people to God. It is the ministry that uh, our Savior Jesus has carried out, right? Like he paid the price for our sin, and he now ministers before the Father as our great high priest, uh, seated right next to him, but still ministering and still serving. And we are called to carry out that same ministry of reconciling other people to God, just like we have been reconciled to God in Christ. And, uh, you know, then, then I kind of started to think about how, if we all have this ministry and we all carry it out, uh, why, why aren't we kind of carrying it out all the time? Um, I have a lot of excuses in my life of the reasons that I make or the reasons that I give to not uh, be constantly in the service of others or constantly ministering. Um, and as I, as I think about this passage, I think, you know, our, we have a culture that has set up reasons for us to give ourselves break, like breaks. And I'm not saying it's bad to take a break. Don't walk away from this and say Carson said to never take a break or never take a vacation. I'm glad Treb's on vacation right now. But what I'm saying is that, uh, you know, we, we live in a world where it's like work really, really hard uh, and then take a break because you've earned it. Uh, like take a little time off, uh, take a little time for yourself, that kind of mentality. And, um, you know, Jesus had, had just done... It's not an overstatement to say Jesus had just done the greatest thing that anyone could ever do, right? Like he had just died for the, our sins, for my sin, for your sin. He had taken on the very wrath of God. He had conquered sin and conquered death and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And then he still serves. He still ministers. And it's amazing to see that that, that is what our Savior does. He is not... Um, He's not thinking about himself, right? If anyone could sit down and say, I think I deserve a break, it probably should have been Jesus who had just done the greatest thing that had ever been done. Uh, and instead, what it says in, in verse 2 and in verse 6 is that he serves and that he still has a ministry that he is carrying out. And I think that that is an amazing example, right? That we as Christians, uh, I've never done anything as good as you know, paying for the sins of the world. Um, I may have done a couple, like, average things, but, like, we, uh, but never something that good. Like, and we can all do good things. I want to encourage you in doing good things, but we shouldn't rest on our laurels. We shouldn't be proud of the things that we did and think, like, all right, I'm going to take a little break from ministry. I'm going to take a little break from church right now. I'm going to take a break from the fellowship of believers. Like, we are called to serve one another. We are called to be actively a part of this ministry of reconciliation until Jesus takes us home. And, uh, 
And then I think we'll probably get to do something else, like Jesus is when he uh, sits in the presence of God now. And so um, I think that there's this example that we see of Jesus, and we can sit and think to ourselves, like, what is the ministry that God is calling you today? Uh, it, it is the ministry of reconciliation, but in the, the job that you work or the place that you spend your time, the school that you go to, the friends that you have, the church that you're a part of, like the place that God has put you in life right now, there you have a role in his ministry of reconciliation. And I want to encourage you in that, to sit and to not uh, to take a break from it, but to be actively involved and engaged in serving and ministering uh, to the people that God has put in your life, and to be a part of that, your neighbors, your friends, your family, whoever it may be. And I want to encourage you to be a part of that ministry. Um, our, our God is an amazing God. He is a God who has worked out this beautiful, redemptive plan, and the Old Testament covenant is uh, a, foreshadow, a foreshadowing of what Jesus came and did on the cross uh, as our great high priest. And so, I would just say, like, hallelujah that we have this new covenant, right, that God has ushered it in through Jesus and that we are no longer subject to the old covenant, but we have this amazing, beautiful new covenant. And uh, I, I hope and pray that our response to that covenant would be lives of, of ministry and service just like our Savior does for us in the presence of the majesty in heaven. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you use it to teach us, and Lord, I know that you have, have taught me from it this week, and even now, as I am convicted and feel called, um, called to ministry, Lord, I know that there are times when I have, have not been faithful with that, and I, and I want to confess that before you. And Lord, I ask that we would be a people, and that we would be a church that are committed to your service that we are committed to being a part of your ministry of reconciliation that you are using us to work out in this world. We thank you for the opportunity that you give us to do that, and we thank you for this very high calling that you have given us to be a part of it. We thank you for the example that our Savior Jesus uh, gives while still ministering in your presence, even after having done such an amazing and great feat on our behalf, that he does not rest or take a break, but that he instead continues to serve and minister on behalf of our souls. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your great love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Let's all stand together. Um, this, this final song that we're going to sing is so deeply connected to just those first two verses where we learned that Jesus is at the throne of majesty. So that when we come before him, he, he is serving there. He is still interceding for us. Um, this first verse of the song, it just says those exact things. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Let's sing this together and seal up our hearts with these truths. Thank you.